generally the major corporations that have the billions and billions and billions of dollars of cash effectively run their own money market account. Yeah. In the, they, in the article, it mentions that Microsoft has, as of the end of March, had $104 billion in liquid assets. Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. Uh, Number one, this is The Personal Wealth Coach, a radio program, a podcast, but also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Really? Uh, I know. It sounds shocking, doesn't it? Right, it is. Um, The SEC doesn't say, you guys are cool at any point in any of our filings, nor do they say, you guys are really horrible at any point in our our filings. We're more proud about the second part than the first part, but they don't give us any kind of thumbs up because we're registered with them. They're just our regulator. Number two, this, uh, we're registered to give, Investment advice, but we don't do that on the air because in order to give fiduciary investment advice, we have to know you all. And while it has been said that we are our only audience, um, know thyself is difficult. So um, we can't give advice on the air unless we know all of you. And what's more, we still can't, even if we knew you all, unless we got a document from you all saying it was okay to share the advice with all the rest of you for your specific advice. So uh, we'll get those forms out to you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we can. I've got another one. You go ahead. Go ahead. Since we're providing educational information and not investment advice on this radio program, We need to tell you that the information that we provide is educational information has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And you have no idea how long it took me to be able to say that clearly. Well, you've been saying it clearly for so long, or at least clearly unclearly. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Right. And the last bit of information that we should give you, as riveting and interesting as the prior disclosures, is that we don't pay for this radio program. I'm shocked. Ah, it's horrible, horrible. Uh, they don't also pay us for this radio program. We've been doing this radio program since 1996 on KTEM 1400. Um, the podcast is a much more recent thing. Podcast was something you said in horror movies about people whose brains had been taken over. Uh, and now it has to do with um, things you stick in your ear and, and wander around glazed-eyed listening to something no one else can hear. If you mm-hmm. would like to email us, we can give you exactly how to write it out. Uh, it, you can email either Jake or Jeff, preferably or both, both. Right. Jeff at tpwc.com or Jake at tpwc.com as in Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or the personal wealth coach. That's really what it means. It doesn't, the Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie is just fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. So if you'd like to be part of the program, we actually read those things and do our best to answer the question on the air. Uh, send us an email. Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. Um, 
Yeah. So that that is, uh, I think that was all of our disclosures. We have a whole bunch of good topics. Uh, recessions, actual real recession happening right now. Um, Germany is in a recession. And I, I would uh, wrench my arm out of socket to pat ourselves in the on the back for calling the fact that Germany was already in a recession two months ago. Um, but it's really not a good idea to pat ourselves about being right about something so bad. Uh, so, <laughs> Well, you can use a German word, Schadenfreude. Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on. It's very sophomoric of us to be having this conversation. But the German economy is in a recession, and you're still running close to double-digit inflation in the UK. And our- It's 7% annual inflation in Germany while they're in a recession. Right. While we are now down, according to the latest estimate that the CPI came out at three, right at, right at 4.4%. Right. And that's month to month in both the core and the energy and other things removed sectors. And by the way, the majority of the inflation that's occurring right now, because people are like, I'm not seeing massive inflation in the grocery store anymore. I'm not seeing... I mean, the gas prices have leveled out and come down from what they were. So what? where is the inflation happening? Well, it's still in used cars. I, I think I told you guys uh, last week that the price for a standard new car has finally gone back above the price for a standard used car. So that was in the, in the last several weeks that occurred. That doesn't mean that we're not still seeing some inflation in used cars. Uh, and that's where the majority of the inflation is concentrated, is used car inflation. So if you're not buying a used car right now, you're not experiencing the level of inflation that we're talking about here at 4.4%. That's still not good. It's still high, and we want to bring that down. But it looks like we're getting, in the majority of parts of the market, we're getting that downward, at least, pressure. It's not rising as quickly. A lot of, a lot of the areas uh, that, were, that are being measured have gone negative. So it's called disinflation. And if you hear people talking about deflation and disinflation and want to know what the difference is, there's sort of kind of a consensus in, on the dif difference, but it's not universal. So if you're wondering, don't worry, so are all the experts. The general sort of kind of consensus is if you just had a lot of um, inflation and then the prices retreat a little bit, but they're still above where they were some unknown period of time just a short time ago, like last year or five years, or this is what I mean, there's no consensus on what it means, uh, then that's disinflation. But if you are running along and you haven't had inflation for a while, and you start getting what would have been called disinflation, which means all the prices start going down for everything. That's deflation then. So deflation, by the way, is far more dangerous in an economic sense, by far, far, far more dangerous than inflation. The, the depressive spiral of prices going down, down, down means wages go down, down, down. Unemployment goes way up. Money supply gets frozen. So it's a bad thing. Inflation is better. It's still not good, but it's better than deflation. Okay, so that was a bunch of rabbit trails. I also had one other main thing I wanted to talk about, and then we've got a question from John. I've been asked several times this week, how is it if we have reached the debt ceiling, and we reached the debt ceiling in January? 
that there are still one-month treasury bills out there to be traded. How can that be? Because a one-month means it's paid off in a month, right? And if they're not borrowing new money, how are there new one-month bills? Well, the answer to that is there's a debt ceiling. As debt comes along and matures and gets paid back by the government, so say one one treasury security comes due and $10,000 goes out from the government, they can borrow another $10,000 now because they're still at the ceiling when they do that. If the debt ceiling was at $10,000 and you can only borrow $10,000 and you paid off that last $10,000, you can do it again. So there is a rollover effect that's occurring that's about to stop on June 4th. They won't be able to roll them over anymore. Well, there's the other side of that. If you bought a 10-year treasury note nine years and 11 months ago, it is going to mature in one month. So it has effectively become a one-month treasury note. So that's where the interest rates are showing up too. Yeah. So on the open market, when you are looking at a maturing one month, it's going to be at the same rate, whether it was issued a month ago or 30 years ago and is maturing on that same day, Um, because that's how interest rates work. If you want to sell that thing on the open market, that's the interest rate that they're going to want to get. And I know that's a little complicated. As soon as you start talking interest rates and what direction prices go when interest rates go up and down, people's eyes cross and they start going, what's going on? This is weird. But the reality is if you just think of it like what a lot of people are experiencing right now, if you have a significant cash reserve, most of you are aware that if you just left it where it was a year or two years ago, you're not going to get paid much. You'll get paid the same thing you were a year or two years ago. And people are getting antsy about that. And they're saying, where can I put this money to take advantage of the high interest that we're hearing about? Why is that similar to what we're talking about in the interest rate elsewhere? When you want to leave a bank to go to another bank, you're in essence canceling their debt. You're telling them to pay back their debt to you so that you can put it somewhere else that's paying more. They've got to liquidate things to give you your cash back, and that's going to hurt them. So that bank's value dropped because an interest rate somewhere else went up. Their value to themselves and their value to their customers dropped. So you are making the same decisions that the big bondholders on Wall Street are making. If you can get a better interest rate, you want it. (laughs) I know that's a weird feeling. But, you know, most of us are are settling still. A lot of people have left their money in the same account, even though it's not paying them anything. But there's a movement, and that causes banks to get more competitive, but it also causes some banks to go under um, with the new Federal Reserve policy of giving big loans to banks that have long-term treasuries. Uh, I don't see a lack of cash, though. So the banks won't go under from a depositor run, very likely. If banks continue to go under, it's because their investors are upset with their actions and they don't think they're profitable. So, man, I was rambling all over the place. We have a question from Inquisitor John. Did you want to take it or do you want me to take it? Mm, I can take it. Okay. You John read it out. Ask, John asks a very good question as usual. Um, he says, as I understand it, the attached article says investors are buying high-yield company debt from firms that are awash in cash, which helps their balance sheets. This is in lieu of buying treasury debt because of the, of the impending debt crisis default. Don't companies invest their cash in government securities rather than keep it in banks? Seems like investors are buying stealth government debt. Well, when we talk about a wash with cash, large companies are wash with cash. We're talking about many billions of dollars. 
No, they don't put it in a bank account where the FDIC insures the first 250000 of it. They Generally, the major corporations that have the billions and billions and billions of dollars of cash effectively run their own money market account. Yeah. In the, they, in the article, it mentions that Microsoft has, as of the end of March, had $104 billion in liquid assets. So what they do is they... There's something, we talk about money market funds because they invest in what's called the money market, but there's a short-term money market out there. There's an entire set of a, a, a huge number of brokers and transaction specialists and everything else that roll over short-term loans to various borrowers. The largest single borrower, of course, is the United States Treasury. And as Jake pointed out, every time something is paid back by the Treasury, they can re-borrow that money uh, despite the without exceeding the debt ceiling. So they're doing it too. But the money market funds effectively run by the corporations. For instance, Microsoft doesn't put its money in a money market fund. They have their own traders who loan that money out to very high uh, credit rated other people, companies, individuals, corporations for very short periods of time. That's the money market. So there may be government debt in there and there may not be government debt in there, but that's where Microsoft and the people at Microsoft who run their short-term cash positions, that's up to them to determine. And generally speaking, corporations tend to be fairly conservative with that money. If they want it to be immediately liquid, they would willing, they willingly will take a lower interest rate to make sure they get their money back in 30 days or one week or two weeks or overnight when they loan it out. Yeah. And th- the intent of your question, John, is fantastic. Um, you have uncovered one of the secrets that when you uncover it is very obvious, but most people don't see it. And that is all of our money is intertangled. All of it. There's nothing. It, all money is debt. It is an IOU. On your cash, it says Federal Reserve note. Note is a kind of loan. It's a non-interest bearing loan, but it's just a bearable bond where you take it and you pay it. They don't ask for your ID. They don't want to see that you truly own that money. You own the money because you have it. You can pay with it. Okay. So when we're talking about what backs that, part of what backs this is our confidence that the U.S. government is going to do something to protect its value, that the Federal Reserve is going to do something to protect its value. But all of it is underlined by the fact that the government pays its debts. So it doesn't matter if you're making a profit in dollars and you have no loans from the government, you receive no subsidies from the government, you're part of the same system of monetary policy and controls that has its roots in the government. So in, in the event of a government default, we can look at other countries to see the effect on even high cash parent bearing positions of the corporations. But there's a twist because when Mexico devalued or Brazil devalued or Russia devalued or Thailand devalued, and there's a lot of devaluations that occur across the world economically. When they say, hey, this one uh, fill in the blank denomination is now worth, it's now a uh, hundred. So they've just done like a, stock split to 100, but now that devalues it drastically. So what happens to those corporations? Well, if they're holding the debt of their country that just devalued the money, um, it's really bad. They don't look good. 
But fortunately or unfortunately, the big corporations in almost any country put a significant amount of their reserves in U.S. treasuries, which haven't defaulted. So even companies that we would consider to be awash in cash in those countries during a default, they don't do well unless they have external resources that aren't affected by the valuelessness that comes when you default. Uh, one of the things, I mean, you mentioned this in passing, but a one-month bill right now is paying 6%. Well, why is it paying 6%? Well, because it's less than one month from now. It's just a week from now that we're talking about a default occurring, which means the people that want to give those loans to the government are saying, I know you're going to miss a payment if you miss a payment, so you need to pay me more for the risk I'm taking against the concept that you might not pay me back. So to think of a one-month loan from the government being at 6% when it really wasn't that long ago, I'm going to go back back in time to a one-month in June of 2020, paid 0.12%. And now we're at 6%. So the government is being charged because of the actions of Congress a much larger t uh, interest bill than would have been there otherwise. The market's charging them for it, even though they think it's probably going to be okay, the debt ceiling's going to raise. Hopefully, they're still charging them 6% on their short-term money. And that is a foretaste of what will happen if the debt ceiling is not raised across the board. Further borrowing by the United States, will the interest rates will rise hugely. You know, the 30-year the treasury is that you can borrow, the United States of America can borrow uh, 30 years, for 30 years, can borrow $10,000 for about 4% a year. That would probably go to 7 or 8% if we default, because you've gone from having a triple, uh, Fitch has already stated that with the United States Treasury is under review for a lowering of its credit rating. If it defaults, they will lower the credit rating. And the lower your credit rating goes, the higher the interest you pay on loans. So interestingly and ironically, threatening to not raise the debt ceiling will dramatically, particularly if they don't raise the debt ceiling, will dramatically raise the future deficits. Yeah, because dramatically. the cost of borrowing, the interest rate cost will increase substantially because before you get this really good discounted rate to the U.S. government because it's so safe. And academia, they still call it the zero risk position. I don't think they can call it that anymore. Long-term long debt borrowing that went up until we hit the debt ceiling by the federal government and the rollover that's going on as they roll over and and the, they pay off a debt and then re-borrow that money by putting it back on the market is running at approximately inflation levels. So the United States government effectively gets to borrow money for 0% interest. If the debt ceiling isn't raised and on the 5th when Janet Yellen now says we will effectively stop being able to pay, we miss a payment. Well, actually, it, we don't even have to wait. If, if, it, if the debt ceiling is not raised this week, next week, this coming week, I will tell you that the interest rate that the United States government will have to pay on its debt will go up substantially. If the United States starts missing obligations, it will go up tremendously and it will hugely increase the, the deficit in the national debt. In, in the middle of this, 
Uh, I've also gotten people saying, how come Janet Yellen doesn't know when we won't be able to pay? She was just saying June, June 1st. Now she's saying June 5th. What's the difference? Why doesn't she know what's going on? All of this stuff is based on estimates, estimates of when you are going to pay your taxes, estimates on when tariffs are going to be charged and and who who's going to pay what in taxes. So if somebody's making more money than they did last year, then that's going to come in quarterly or it may come in monthly or it may come in weekly. How do you estimate it? And it may be that they estimated too high and they're clawing back money that they paid in taxes last year because they're not doing so well this year. All that stuff is a fluctuation in the day-to-day how much revenue that the government is receiving. To, to move it back from June 1st to June 4th or 5th means something good. It means that more revenue came in than was expected. It, meant, it, it literally means that somebody made more money than they expected to, which is cool. Uh, it pushed it back a little farther, but the default is still a really, 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 really say that on repeat for the next 30 minutes. Bad thing. It's a bad thing. Like underline bold uh, italics in red. I, I, I can't really emphasize this any more than that. It is not good. Let's move on from the debt default crisis. It's not happened. Um, yeah, it's one of those things we can control, by the way. If we barrage, I, I just want to say one more thing about that. Uh, yeah. I read a very good article today where the scholar had researched Supreme Court rulings on this issue of what debts the government pays in what order. And the first priority is to pay for treasury securities. In other words, if you have a $10,000 bond or note and uh, it comes due, their first priority is to pay that. Second one is to pay interest to bond note holders. There's a third, there's a second category, which is uh, contractual obligations. And the lowest priority, according to the compilation of Supreme Court rulings, is general obligations. In other words, something that they promised but didn't guarantee. And Social Security is at the top of that list, by the way. Social Security payments are not a contractual obligation of the United States government. That's why Congress can move the inflation adjustment. They can can move the amount they pay you. They can move it around all they want to because there's no contract that says Social Security will pay you. That is the at the tail end of priorities. So one of the things to be aware of is if there is, if the debt ceiling is not raised in the first by the, and, and it, and when I say raised, it has to pass the house, has to pass the Senate. Senate will make some changes to it. They have to reconcile it. And then it has to go to the president, which is going to take probably several days. Your social, if you, if you're drawing social security uh, and you get your check early in the month, uh, you may not get a check. There, there's an, there's another piece to this. And this is one of the weirdnesses of life. The software of uh, this, the software involved in the calculation of who gets paid first. The government may not have the ability to prioritize its payments, and I know that's a, a weird concept, uh, but it's always had enough money. And if you think how the government works, there's a general fund, and it shifts money from the general fund to the different departments based on when draws are submitted and received. And they're submitted and received by lots and lots and lots and lots of different departments all going to the general fund. They all have the same level of authority when it comes to drawing funds from that communal pool in the software. 
Of course, because they're head of a department and they're taking what was already approved by Congress. But if the money's not there, there's the, the software may not exist to give partial payments. It may not exist to prioritize debt like treasury securities over social security. It's a big question because nobody gets to audit the U.S. government's software. <laughs> they, they keep that kind of behind closed doors. Uh, and for good reason. So we don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of incalculable. More than nobody knows. There's, it's never happened before. It's fascinating. I hope it doesn't happen. But as well, you said, let's move on to a different subject because we could really literally talk only about the debt ceiling and not cover all of the complexities let's talk about of some the things dangers. that have happened. Yeah. The consumer raised their spending levels significantly in April. They still have plenty of cash. New orders for manufactured durable goods in April, which is now up for two consecutive months, increased 3.1 billion or 1.1%. The previous month in March, it increased 3.3%. Why is that important? Manufactured durable goods are what companies invest in when they anticipate doing more business in the immediate future. And the orders are rising. Uh, we see so many positives in the economy right now. Um, the matter of fact, looking through the economic news, were it not for the debt train wreck potential, uh, the default potential of the United States government, it would have just been strictly positive stuff all week. And it's amazing. Um, the unemployment levels are not rising. Uh, the, the, uh, Labor Department went back in and revised their initial estimates, and it turned out that the jump to 242,000 layoffs last month really wasn't 242,000 layoffs. And that's why the four-week moving, four moving average is important on that. It's, it's a 230,000, which indicates that we have positive job creation in the United States, significant positive job creation, which you don't get as you head into a recession. Employers look out there and they sense that business is slowing down and they don't hire a bunch of new people. First, they, way before they start laying off people, they stop hiring people. And it's just not happening. Uh, we, uh, it, the possibility exists of a technical recession occurring in the third quarter or fourth quarter. But frankly, I just don't see any evidence that it's happening anywhere. I do see the growth rate slowing down some back to a sustainable level, which is incidentally what the Fed is shooting for. But there's everything in the economy that we normally look at indicates we are on the cusp of significant growth, not a recession. Uh, all the things we've seen in the past, uh, and admittedly, the leading economic indicators that's put together by the conference board is a little more sophisticated in this area. But I think because of the very unusual circumstances we have coming out of the pandemic, that the leading economic indicators may not be very accurate. And certainly, I will say, the Treasury yield curve being inverted is occurring because of a very different situation than we've ever seen before. So again, that may or may not be an indicator. Yeah, the uh, the looking at the I'm on the site for the leading economic indicators from the conference board, and they're still way down from where they were. But we're on an uptick in that, so it it could be in recovery mode. Uh, year over year change, uh, we're up you know several percentage points over where we were a year ago. Well, things weren't bad a year ago. So 
you know, last year we saw all these indicators of being much, much, much higher than where we were a year and two years before. But if you look two years before where we were last year, that was the depths of the shutdown. So, of course, the leading indicators were up. So the leading indicators are down compared to that enormous growth that we were seeing when we were all trapped inside, Uh, when we were buying houses because we couldn't stand to stay in the same house anymore, when we were buying cars that uh, you felt like you had to go rob a bank to get. Uh, That is massive economic growth that's occurred there. And car prices are still slightly higher than they were last year and the year before at that time. They've just leveled off. So these leading indicators look like they're mildly starting to recover, but many of the indicators are so wrapped up in things that were warped and distorted by the pandemic, like building permits for private housing, um, average weekly hours in manufacturing. These are things that the pandemic had a lot more to do with those statistics than the health of the company that was employing them, if that makes sense, or the company that was building the houses and getting the permits. Uh, It had a lot more to do with everybody had to go home. So those leading indicators are still in what the conference board is saying is a recession signal. And they have, for the last 60 years or so, not been wrong in forecasting a recession at that signal, but we're not seeing one. We haven't had a pandemic in the last 60 years except for this one either. So just because we have a lot of information on a subject doesn't mean we have all the information. And what I'm hoping happens here is that we'll have a better understanding of what these indicators actually mean because we've just tested them in a different sort of economy. Uh, it's, it's That's a bit like the doctor saying, hmm, you have a very rare and incurable disease, but think of what we'll learn from you. Uh, it's kind of dark interest, but we're going to learn a lot from what we've just been through. We'll be better next time, hopefully. I mean, that's what writing things down is for, I think. Okay. Uh, we're about to be done, so if you would like to talk to us off the air, our uh, email addresses are jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. You can go to our webpage, tpwc.com. That's Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie or The Personal Wealth Coach. You can leave us voicemail locally at... 254-947-1111. Or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. If you'd like to listen to our podcast, they're anywhere you could find podcasts. On our webpage, you will find our newsletter and the ability to sign up for it. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing. Good newsletter. Uh, we'll be back next hour, and we've got a lot more stuff to talk about. Thank you for tuning in to The Personal Wealth Coach. We appreciate you guys.